It's a series of videos that always takes what you're reading and kind of places it in the larger picture of Scripture. It's really, really good. And so, some, oh, you know about it, eh? Isn't it good? Yes. And so as you're going through and you're reading a certain passage, there's this, and they're kind of cool videos. They, they just kind of say, okay, this is what you're reading, and this is how it fits into the overall story. And so I just want to give you a plug for that because um, I think as followers of Christ, we've got to get better at reading Scripture. So um, one of the themes, of course, this week, because you begin in Genesis, is the theme of uh, light and darkness. And, it, and this theme of light and darkness shows up again and again in Scripture. Uh, we read right at the very beginning of Scripture that in the beginning there is darkness, there is chaos. God spoke and there was light. And God is a God who brings order out of chaos and light in our darkness. And this is a theme that runs not only in Genesis, but it runs through Scripture. We read this in the Psalms, that the, the Lord is our light and our salvation, right? We read uh, in the prophets, um, in a passage that you're familiar with at around Christmas time, is that people walking in darkness have seen a glorious light. And so why this theme of darkness and light? And why is it that this theme of darkness and light seems to capture our imagination? It often does in movies. Um, <laughs> I'll do the obligatory Star Wars reference. Um, but you see that. I mean, the, the theme of light and darkness runs through a lot of movies. And I think one of the reasons why this theme is so prevalent is that there's a lot of darkness in our world. And I think a lot of people, and I've, I've said this before, I've said it here, I've said it in other places, I think a lot of people in our world today are really afraid and anxious. I think if you're to describe our world, there's a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. Uh, we have entire generations of people growing up paralyzed with fear, afraid to make a move, wanting to retreat and hide. And so we have a generation in desperate need of light so we can get our bearings straight and learn how to live. And so the passage I want to look at is a very important passage about this whole theme of darkness and light, and it's a passage found in John chapter 8. And so if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 8. This is the passage we're going to be looking at. John chapter 8, and we'll begin in verse 12. So, if you have a Bible, look at John chapter 8, verse 12. This is what Jesus says. Jesus spoke to the people saying this. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered them, he says, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you don't know where I've come from and where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I do not, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself. And the Lord and, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, Therefore, well, where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. 
These words he spoke in the, in, the, in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Jesus, this is your word. You are the living word. You are present with us this morning. Um, we have sung your praises. You're not a philosophy. You're not an idea. You're not a worldview, but you're personal. You're present. So guide us, Lord, as we, as we reflect on, on your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is our passage that we're going to be looking at. And so if you do have a Bible, keep it open. Now the context of our passage is really, really important because it, it, it is an occasion filled with darkness and light. It surrounds a feast. It surrounds a Jewish feast, a Jewish celebration called the Feast of the Tabernacles or the Festival of Booths. Now, the three major feasts in the Jewish calendar, there's Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, people would gather to celebrate. And if you lived near Jerusalem, you actually had to go to Jerusalem, make the journey to celebrate. The most popular feast was the Feast of the Tabernacles. In fact, one ancient rabbi wrote the celebration that takes place during the Feast of the uh, Tabernacles was so great that it kind of put all the other feasts to shame. And if you wanted to party, you would party at the Feast of the Tabernacles. Now, what was this feast all about? Well, it was a time where the people would gather together and they would remember a very important event. They would remember how the people of Israel wandered for 40 years in the Sinai Desert before entering the Promised Land. Okay? So that's what the Feast of the Tabernacles is all about. It recalled how God graciously chose to be present with His people. And His presence was manifested in a tabernacle or a tent. And not only did God, not only did Yahweh graciously choose to be present with His people, He also provided for them when they were in the desert, right? How did He provide them for them? What did He? Manna? What else? Yeah, yeah, guidance with the pillar of light and uh, pillar of cloud. And also water, right? Is in the desert. So those three things, manna, water from a rock, and the light of the fiery pillar of, of cloud. Now this is really important. Because it provides the background for what Jesus just says in John chapter 8. It, it, it's, it's the background to what Jesus is teaching us in this section. It's really interesting. If you, if you study the book of John, it's really interesting. So what are the three things? There's manna, there's water, and then there's the, uh, the guidance of the fiery cloud, pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Okay? Now, think about this. If you know the book of John, in John chapter 6, so we're 6, 7, 8. In John chapter 6... Jesus says something really important about himself. What does he say? I am the bread of life. Right? Your deepest hungers, your deepest longings will be met in me. I am the bread. I am the manna from heaven. I am the bread of life. John chapter 7, so one chapter later, what does Jesus say? He declares, I'm the living water. It's really interesting. I'm the living water. In the same way the Israelites drank of the water that God provided, um, the prophets like Zechariah said there would be one day where God would pour out his living water upon his people. Jesus says in John chapter 7, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Interesting. So what is Jesus doing here? This is really important. 
Well, he's saying something really important about who he is and why he came. That Jesus himself is the fulfillment, the embodiment of Israel's story. All right? This is really important. And all the promises that God made in the Old Testament are being fulfilled in him. And it brings us to our passage today. During the Feast of the Tabernacles, during this, this ceremony, it ran for about eight days, there are two ceremonies. There's a water ceremony, which again, we, we call God's provision, but there's also the light ceremony, which, which recalled not just God's provision, but his guidance, right? His guidance as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night for Israel in the desert. Now, the festival lasted for eight days, and one of the themes, of course, because it's light, is the illumination. Like, so there'd be lots of candles. And in fact, the whole temple would be lit up with candles. Some of the candelabra, for, apparently, were 75 feet high. That's quite the climb to light up the candle. Um, and so during this festival of light, for eight days, if you were living in Jerusalem, at night, what you would see is you'd see the temple all lit up because it's a festival of light, Right? And so all this would serve that people at night, they would see the temple, they would be reminded that God is a God who guided his people at night in the desert, which is important. Now, here's, here's the problem. Like, we live in a world where there's how much darkness, like physical darkness, do we ever experience? Hardly any. Like, when is it really, really, really dark? Well, we live in a city. Like, it's never dark. Now, and it's strange when we talk about darkness and light. Like, we got our cell phones, you turn them on, we can see things. You know, how many times have you, you know, looked around and you just turned on your phone, right? We seldom are in real darkness. Now, one of the things we do as a family is we go camping because it's cheap. Um, and so we go camping and we usually go up to Miracle Beach on the island, which is just north of uh, Courtney. Now, there at night, it gets dark. And so we went camping there last summer, and I'm a chronic insomniac, so I wander around campgrounds in the middle of the night. Um, and so I'm just kind of, and it was dark. It was so dark. And like, there was no moon, there was clouds, and, and I couldn't, like, it was, it was real physical darkness. And then you realize when it's really dark, and let's say you don't have your cell phone or your flashlight or whatever, it's, it's a little scary. It throws you off. So here's the yeah, situation. They're, during this Jewish festival, for eight days, people are remembering, they're recalling their history. They're recalling how God was a provider in a dry and thirsty land and the guiding light in the darkness. And, and, and in a moment of high drama, on the eighth day, you know what happened? On the last day, all the candles would be extinguished. People would be thrown into darkness longing for the light. Now, it's at this moment when all the candles are put out that Jesus says the words, I am the light of the world. Isn't that interesting? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Light of life. Imagine what that would have been like. 
It's like Jesus is saying, I am the light of this world that lights up every dark corner of this world. I am the light. This light will go out, but I am the light that will never go out. I mean, that would be powerful. And so Jesus is making a pretty big claim here. That's why people are a little upset. Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. Now notice what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying, you know what? Just like Buddha, I am a teacher whose teaching is illuminating and is helpful. That's not what he's saying. Jesus is not also saying, he's not saying, you know what? There are many lights in this world. In the same way, you know, there's many roads to Kelowna. There are many lights in this world. I am a light in the world. Doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, I am the light of the world, the light of the world. And the moment Jesus says this, what he's doing is he's fulfilling so much of the Old Testament. You read in, in Isaiah chapter 9, he says that the people walking in darkness have seen a glorious light, right? We read even in, in the book of Malachi, and I'm going to just flip to see if I can find it. In the book of Malachi, Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, this is what it says. It says, But you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness, will rise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves in the in, in, in stall. It says in, in, um, in the book of Luke, right at the beginning of the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 78, it says this. Chapter 1, verse 78. That's not right. Oh, boy, I should have. Okay, so let's look at chapter 2, verse 29. How's that? <laughs> now you, oh, it's, yeah, it is where, um, where Simeon says, Lord, you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared for in the presence of all the people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory of your people Israel. And even in John chapter 1, right at the very beginning, we read this about Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 4, it says this. It says, In him was life. The light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And even in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Paul writes these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. He says this. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the light of the world. Now we need to get this. Because there's a lot of darkness in our world today. The Bible teaches us that to walk in spiritual darkness is a horrifying thought. Why? Because without light, we're in chaos. How many of you, or how many people do you know, if you had to describe their life, it'd be chaos? Without light, we're groping in the darkness, trying to grab hold of something. Jesus says to us this morning, stop stumbling around in the darkness. I am the light of the world, follow me. So what I want to do is, I just want to look at a couple implications of this. I'm going to structure, I'm going to frame this. Uh, there's a guy named Daryl Johnson who wrote a book, Who is Jesus? And so I'm kind of drawing from his, his structure. 
but he lays out there's four, four implications for Jesus being the light of the world. Here's the first one. If we follow Jesus, the light of the world, you and I will never be in the dark about the reality of God and who he is. Okay? The New Testament is clear. If you want to know what God is like, if you want to know who God is and what he's like, you look to Jesus. Right? Again, he's not one of the many lights in the world. He is the light of the world. Jesus' claim is exclusive. He is the light. There is no other light. And that is why one of my favorite quotes is by a guy named Abraham Kuyper. I don't have any sermon notes. Abraham Kuyper, who is the um, prime minister of, um, of Holland in the early 20th century, he says, this, he says this, he says, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. So he says, there's not a square inch over all of reality that Jesus does not look at and say mine. That's how sovereign he is. And so if you want to know who God is, you start with Jesus. Now, if you don't start with Jesus, what happens? If you want to know who God is, and if you don't start with Jesus, where do you start? Well, you, say, you end up doing what a lot of people say. I, I, I have a lot of people say to me, you know, David, when I think about God, I like, I don't know, I kind of like to think of God as, and they fill in a blank. And now here's what often happens. Without, when we start to talk about who God is and we start from our own reference, it, it doesn't take long before the God that we come up with looks a lot like ourselves. I like to think of God as a God who kind of likes Rush, you know, the rock group Rush, and, uh, and, uh, and he's the God of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and, uh, which needs a lot of help. Um, <laughs> But if, if it's up to us, the God that we come up with will look a lot like ourselves. The problem with this is that God, if we're going to make up who God is, and he looks like us, the problem is, is that's called idolatry. And the God that we come up with will be a God that fails. And gods that fail are gods that will kill us. If you want to know what God is like, well, he needs to show us what he's like. And that's what, that's what Scripture teaches us, is that, is that is if you want to know what God is like, you look to Jesus. Jesus is God's idea about God. Yahweh is like Jesus, and Jesus is just like Yahweh. Jesus is compassionate, so is God. Jesus is merciful, so is God. Jesus forgives, so does God. Jesus is just and wise, so is God. Jesus heals, so does God. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. All things hold together in him. Same applies to God. So if you want to know what God is like, you look to Jesus. And when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, one of the implications is, you and I will never be in the dark about what God is like. Okay? But there's a second implication. If you follow Jesus, the light of the world, you'll never be in the dark about what you are like. If somebody asks you, what's wrong with you? You're tempted to say, nothing, what's wrong with you, right? 
But if we were both to say, what's wrong with Lincoln? Well, we can come up with lots of things, right? Because <laughs> he's over there, right? And, we, and you know, we're, we're pretty, we can be pretty critical about other people. But one of the things, one, once we enter into the presence of Jesus, what will happen is we'll begin to see, maybe even for the first time, that there's something deeply wrong here. Now, we know there's something wrong in the world, right? I like G.K. Chesterton. He's a guy from the early 20th century. He says the most, kind of the most, what he called it, the most empirically verifiable doctrine of the Bible is original sin because all you have to do is read the newspapers or, or go online. And there's a lot of stuff that's wrong with the world. He even had this one time uh, in the early 20th century, he's from England, and uh, there was a, uh, a contest and people had to write in um, an answer to a question. The question was, what's wrong with the world? And everybody had to write in their thoughts of what's wrong with the world, and everybody gave their two cents, what's wrong with the world? G.K. Chesterton writes a letter to the editor, what's wrong with the world? He writes two words, I am. Right? I am. I'm wrong. I'm what's wrong. And one of the things when we get Jesus as the light of the world is, is when we come to the realization that every one of us has a heart of darkness. So Joseph Conrad in the Heart of Darkness, or if you prefer the movie, Francis Ford Coppola, Apocalypse Now. But every single one of us has an issue, has a sin issue. There's a guy named Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And he's a guy who um, came out of the uh, Soviet gulag. He was, he was put into uh, prison for a long time in Siberia. And uh, he spoke publicly at one point afterwards, and he says these words. It's really interesting. He says this, If only there were evil people somewhere in the world committing evil deeds, all that would be necessary is to take the evil people and separate them from the good people. He goes, if only it were that easy. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? The line of good and evil runs through the heart of every human being. There's something dark inside every heart that keeps us in bondage and slavery. And, and, and because of that, we're a bit averse to receiving the light. In fact, sometimes the light bothers us. Now, this is maybe a geeky story, but I'll tell you. One of the things that I've always struggled with in my life is I hate when people, you know, if, if you have a flashlight, I hate when people shine flashlights at me. Now, there's a reason for that. Um, I used to do a lot of things that I didn't want people finding out. And there's a couple stories in my life where that involved flashlights. So one story was uh, Buddy and I, we used to go out at night, and we had this strange habit of climbing buildings. We'd climb the outside of a building, and we'd get to the top of a building, and we'd just hang out on top of a building. And so one time I'm with my friend, we climbed about three stories, and I'm, I'm with my friend, we're just hanging out there, doing nothing wrong. Um, and I look at my friend, and I'm like, where are you going? And all of a sudden, I see him kind of jump over the edge of the building. It's like three stories, so could make it. And all of a sudden, shoom, flashlights. Don't move! So I moved, right? 
that's what, that's what you do when somebody says don't move. So I jump over the edge of the building, land with my friend, we both stand up, shink, 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 shink. all these lights are on us. Don't move. Okay, now we won't move. Uh, um, and so that kind of affects you, right, later on. <laughs> and there, there's another time where I was, I was living overseas, I was living in China, I was in a place that I shouldn't have been at the wrong time of night, and I had security guards shine flashlights on me, and I had to get out of there. Um, and so to all to say, I don't like lights, I don't like flashlights to this day, but partly because I, the deeds that I was doing, I prefer to keep in the dark. And I think for a lot of people, when pe people hear Jesus is the light of the world, it throws them off, because we'd rather stay in the dark. But if we follow the light of the world, Jesus Christ, what we're told is that we'll know the truth. And what will the truth do? Set us free, right? And every one of us needs help to get out of the mess that we're in. Every one of us needs help actually to see the mess that we're in before we can even get out. And we have no power on our own to get out of the mess that we're in. And so Jesus gives us two gifts one, as the light of the world, we begin to see ourselves and how messed up we are. But the second gift he gives us is, as Tim Keller puts it, we realize that you and I are more sinful than we'll ever realize, but we're also more loved than we could ever hope. Okay? Which leads us to our third implication. If we follow Jesus, the light of the world, you and I will no longer be in the dark about how to live our lives. We're no longer trying to figure out our lives on our own. Now, I think that's a problem. In our world today, I think a lot of people are struggling because they don't know how to live. I've talked about this before. I think we have a profound identity crisis in our culture. People don't know who they are. But a lot of people are struggling because they don't know how to live in this world. They don't know who they are. They don't know where they are. They don't know where their life is going. They don't know what to do with life, right? Would you agree? Am I? I, I meet a lot of younger people, and they, and they just, they don't know who they are. They don't know what to do with life. And so I'll tell you what often happens. They end up retreating. They end up hiding either in pornography or they hide in video games or, or something. I mean, the video game industry is bigger than the movie, TV, and uh, music industry combined. And the video game industry is, is, is designed to target what age group? What age group? 30 to 35. It's not targeting teens. They're targeting young adults who don't know what to do with life and are still in their parents' basement and are checking out. It's mostly men. And so you have an entire generation of people who don't know who they are, don't know where they are, and don't know where they're going. And life is so overwhelming that they just check out and retreat and, and retreat into a virtual world. And I think, that's, I think that's a big problem in our world. 
A lot of people are feeling stuck. Anybody feel stuck this morning? Afraid to move forward? Afraid to keep things the way they are? But here's the thing. If we walk in the light, if we walk with Jesus, who is the light of this world, what does Jesus promise us? If you walk in the light of this world, you will have, this is what Jesus says, you will have the light of life. He gives us life. If we walk with Jesus, we can live fully, live authentically, live meaningfully. And I love a guy named St. Irenaeus in the, in the second century. He says this. He says, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. Don't you long to be fully alive? We're given life. Not only are we given life, Jesus teaches us how to live this life. Because when we turn to Jesus, what happens is we, are, we get drawn, we get brought into a story that's much bigger than ourselves. Part of the issue we have in our culture today is people don't know how to live because they don't know what story they're part of. And so he's like, all right, do something. It's like, what? Go somewhere. Where? Like, how do, I, how do I navigate this? You flip a coin, okay, I guess I'll go here. But what happens is when, when, we, when our lives get connected to Jesus, who's the light of this world, all of a sudden you and I are pulled out of chaos and we're brought into a story much, much bigger than ourselves, a story that started long before we got on the scene, a story that will carry on long after we leave the scene. And when you're placed within a greater story that has a beginning and also has an ending, you have a trajectory to your life right? Because you know where you come from, you know where you're going. And here's the thing, the promise is, and Jesus gives us the promise, is that when you turn to Jesus, he will not leave us on our own, but his very presence, the Holy Spirit, will come in you and guide you in this life of yours. And so I, 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 this is such important news that we need to tell the world about because so many people are spinning their wheels going nowhere. This is, this is absolutely key. This life that Jesus invites us into is huge. Now, here's a problem. We learn to live the life that he's inviting us into. We learn to live this life, how? Through his word. Now, I want to ask you, how, how much time do you spend in God's word? Recently, we had um, Ian Proven from Regent College come and uh, he did a uh, conference at our, at our church. Ian Proven's an Old Testament scholar. And he says this, he says, we have entire generations who are growing up who are being catechized by the internet. Where are most people learning how to live their life? Is it from the Word? No, it's, it's from what's ever showing up in their newsfeed. And he said this, he's Scottish, right? So he's, he's got a bit of an edge to him. Um, he says this, he says, if you think, he says the average Canadian is online or watching TV or, or Netflix or at, at least 30 hours a week. At least 30 hours, is more than that. He goes, if you think that a 20-minute sermon or a 30-minute sermon on a Sunday can push back the tsunami 
of stuff that you get through Netflix and through everything. If you think that a 30-minute sermon is going to suffice to help you live your life, he goes, you're barking mad. That was a terrible Scottish accent. Let me try it. You're barking mad. I don't know. But you are. I am. We, this is so serious. We are being catechized. We're being taught. Our hearts are being shaped by the internet. But we're supposed to be people of the book, and yet we spend how, how much time on, in, in the Word? If you want to know how to live to have life in its fullest, it's through the Word of God. It's not through the internet. It's not through TSN. So we're called, we learn how to walk with Jesus. And we trust Him. And we recognize we don't do it on our own strength, but by the Holy Spirit. And which leads us to our final implication. If we follow Jesus, the light of this world, if we dare risk falling in deeper trust and intimacy with Him, if we take risks and trust Him in His teaching, you and I will not be in the dark about what we're created, who we're created and redeemed to be. In fact, you and I will begin to love the right things in the right way to the right degree. See, Jesus, as the light of the world, is willing to enter into the dark areas of our life. And some of you, some of us, there's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of darkness in our thought life. There's a lot of darkness in how we spend our time when nobody's looking. There's a lot of darkness in, um, in the sites that we visit on the web. And for many of us, if we're, if we're to tell the truth, we're not always welcoming about the light of the world. But here's the thing. There are many people, I would say, here that you know that unless something changes in your life, you're going to be in a lot of trouble that you have patterns and you have habits in your life, unless you change them, you know you're going to hit a wall. So how do we deal with the darkness in our life? Well, we follow the Jesus, the light of the world. And I like what Daryl Johnson says. He says, if we follow Jesus, Jesus in many ways is like um, radiation therapy for cancer. It's his intense light. But he doesn't just kill the spiritual cancer in our bodies and in our minds, but he transforms us. And he makes us, as Paul puts in Philippians, children of God who shine as lights in this world, holding fast to the word of life. That's what he offers us. Now, this is important because I said this before. This week is one of the hardest weeks for people. I find that um, a lot of people after Christmas and after New Year's when they go back to work, they go back not only broke, <laughs> not only in debt, but they go back depressed. Would you agree? No? I think a lot of people do. And I think a lot of it depends on how you approach Christmas and how you approach New Year's. A lot of people, every, all the attention is going towards the big day, Christmas or, or New Year's, and if that's it then there's usually disappointment afterwards. And now you've got to go back to work and work overtime to pay off the debt of the things that you've just been 
paying for, buying, right? I think a lot of people struggle at this time of year. And it's because maybe the holidays have been pulled out of context. I think one of the things we need to realize is that Jesus is the only true light of the world. He is a fulfillment. He is so much bigger than simply a time of the year. He's the one who will shine his everlasting light into your life. He's the light of the world, and he wants to guide you this year. And so the question is, will you allow him to guide you? Will you allow the word of God to shape your life? And will you become the person that you're created and redeemed to be and be fully alive? Is that your desire? That's my desire. I desire to be alive. There's so much in this world that puts me to sleep. I want to be alive. So let's pray. Let's talk to him. Jesus, our desire is to be alive. And there's so much in this world that's putting us to sleep. There's so much of this world that's pulling us away from you, uh, that's, that's killing our hearts. There's so many things in our lives that are just doing a number on us. And um, sometimes we feel like we're spinning our wheels, going nowhere. And yet we know if something doesn't change, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. And Jesus, you say you're the light of the world. And because of this, we know... Um, what God is like. We know the issues in our own hearts. We also know um, how you've called us to live and that we could hold on to the hope that you have created us to be fully alive. So that's our desire. May we walk with you. May we be uh, people of the book, reading your word. In Jesus' name, amen.